Welcome to Slight Reliability. Learning SRE one day at a time. I'm Stephen Townsend. Hi there and welcome back to Slight Reliability, the show where we learn SRE one day at a time. Today I am interviewing Chris Evans from Incident.io all about incident management and SRE, which personally is something I know very little about and I found it extremely useful. So here's the interview. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Chris, and thank you for coming on the show and chatting to us about um, SRE type activities. And uh, maybe to kick things off today, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and give us a little bit of an overview of your career so far. Yeah, well, firstly, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so, yeah, as you said, my name's Chris. Um, I am, uh, by title, the CPO at Incident.io here. Um, and so career-wise, I've basically spent my entire career in one form or another working in engineering. So early days working um, as a software engineer, mostly sort of C, C++ y type things, um, writing code for embedded infrared camera devices, um, which was actually really, really interesting, really fascinating job. Um, could talk for hours about that. Um, and then sort of later moved a little bit sort of up the stack and into sort of more managed languages. So started working in, you know, Python type things, web apps, that sort of thing. Spent a lot of time working around Django um, and then took a sort of sidestep into technical product management. Um, so I ended up sort of running a platform team for a big um, big e-commerce company here in, in the UK called Marks & Spencer. Um, which was a, a world apart from previous stuff I'd done. Um, and then that sort of led me to various different startups where I did similar sorts of platform infrastructure, SRE type um, type roles. And then most recently before starting this company, I was at a bank in the UK called Monzo um, and joined there in 2017 to run their platform team, which was sort of me plus four engineers at the time. Um, and that was running everything from like physical data centers to uh, you know the entire AWS setup, all the Kubernetes clusters they were running, Cassandra, Kafka, NSQ, various different other technologies. Quite a broad remit for the team. Um, and I was at Monzo for four years, and Monzo grew from sort of two hundred thousand customers to nearly six million while I was there. Um, lots of fun scaling challenges, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, and yeah, picked up a bunch of interesting sort of side hustles on the way there at Monzo. So I ended up running on call, running incident management, um, and then those things led me to start a company writing software to make incidents a little bit less painful for SREs, engineers, uh, basically anyone across the organization. Um, and that's pretty much where I am today. What kinds of challenges were you facing around incidents uh, that sort of inspired you to start Incident.io? Yeah, great question. So Monzo, as I said, Monzo is a bank in the UK. So uh, 2017 got their banking license. They were sort of like one of the first banks in the UK to uh, like start and they were the, one of the very very first banks to run in in, in the cloud um, so historically banks run in big you know data centers that are in you know under offices or whatever else it is um, and one thing about banks is that they are incredibly complicated things um, so you know they are distri typically distributed systems in themselves um, which was certainly true of Monzo so it was a big microservices shop um, running on Kubernetes um, but then the whole banking sort of network. So banks talking to each other are like distributed systems as well. So as you can imagine, there's like just a, a many, many ways that things can go wrong. 
Um, and when they do go wrong, it's sort of not just technical challenges, but it's also regulatory challenges and organizational challenges because you've got customers who want access to their money. And so that was the sort of the entry point for me. So I um, I picked up on call and that was sort of something the CTO semi hospital passed me, which was like, go go fix on call. It's a little bit uh, a little bit sort of worse for wear. And I um, I was like, cool. Well, the reason it's worse for wear is because there's not many people on the rotation. And the reason there's not many people on the rotation is because it's not an appealing job to do. Um, and that's because incidents are incredibly tough. And like, you know, you could be dropped in and be like, cool, you need to fix a MasterCard processor, which is just an incredibly complex beast. Um, and so I wrote sort of evenings and weekends. I started just drawing on that Django experience and, and wrote like a really, really basic web app, which basically did some orchestration of um, channel management and sort of announcing things within Slack um, and just made things a little bit easier, like took some of the rough edges off of the things that were hard. So getting hold of the right person, you know, you want to escalate through page duty, just made that kind of thing possible without having to leave Slack at all. And so that was really the sort of like the entry point. And then over time, it became a tool that was not just used by engineering. It was a tool that was sort of became critical to Monzo's like operations. Um, so, you know, customer support folk relied on it to know when things were going wrong and to get information in and out of engineering. And uh, you had like data privacy people who were like, cool, we have regulation that says if X happens, we need to do this and that. And that became baked into the tool. And it was lots of like hard coded logic and it was quite brittle. Um, but it worked and it sort of became very valuable to the company. And that was the sort of like, you know, spark that there might be a thing here that that is sort of more generally um, useful to companies like Monzo or anyone who's under growth or has high uptime requirements, that kind of thing. Okay. So it sounds like a big part of it is getting the communication connected to the right people at the right time, as well as creating visibility of incidents and what's currently happening. So that it sort of lifts the covers on the the complexity maybe is it is it is that, is that part of it or were there other aspects as well i yeah it's it's interesting i like there's times when i sort of stop and you know we're building a company now that's that's dealing with incidents and trying to help help folks get better at them and i'm like what what is it that's unique about incidents that means that there needs to be software right and it's like it, why is it not just communicating and doing things and i think there's a few unique challenges um so firstly like incidents are typically things that people are not prepared for they're not not things you've seen before they're you know often referred to like operational surprises like things that go wrong in ways that you never predicted and, and you know you couldn't have imagined and so there's this like degree of resilience that's needed there um that that is like a pressure sort of additional thing that puts pressure on people often they happen outside of hours which is again more pressure on people they are like founded on like the need to communicate with various different people so you know something's gone wrong and it's like okay well i, I haven't actually got you know, a, a predefined way of communicating with customer support, because I've never thought about this before, but I need to do that quickly. And so I need to sort of assemble this ephemeral team very, very quickly to coordinate with something. So you've got like a group of people with a bunch of pressure on them, dealing with something they've never seen before, with time criticality, um, and they've never met before. And it's like that, that's what's unique about incidents in my mind. And the reason I think software, the software helps there is because there are basically you can remove some degrees of freedom with some good software which is like if you drop people into this white space and you're like go and figure it out they will figure it out but it will not be efficient and the converse is if you drop people into a place where you go listen the process is mostly the same irrespective of the incident we need to think about communicating with each other we need to think about communicating with our customers we need to think about 
regulation that we might have to adhere to we need to think about you know there's basically a bunch of formulaic things which are true of every incident and i think if you can take all of those things and say that is not the, the sort of responder to the incident's concern anymore that is elevated to a sort of software infrastructure problem to manage all of that then you have a bunch of people who are like cool that is stuff off of my plate i can now focus a lot more on dealing with the the actual issue at hand which is what i'm as a human most uniquely placed to be able to do a big part of SR, the sre concept and what people talk about at conferences is that psychological safety uh, and blameless culture and how important that is to mm. survive in the world of operational reliability and i guess having a structured piece of software that sort of structures that process i, I guess provide some of that safety because there's less uncertainty and it's like we know what the process is and let's just follow it yeah yeah i I can see that there's there's some bizarrely there's some parallels to when i was studying to be an actor and that when you are creating um you know content whether it's a theater show or or a film or whatever or devising something it seemed to be the more restrictions you put on yourself the easier it was to create something great but if you had complete freedom to just create something you just got paralyzed by options and couldn't do anything uh, yes i feel, I feel yeah, there's I a little bit of a parallel to operations there I, I see it i see it yeah i think you know i've just went too hard to see that i think the um the psychological safety thing is is really interesting too which is a lot of there's a lot of stigma around incidents and certainly uh, like less forward-thinking organizations where there's this like view that incidents are inherently bad and they should be the kind of thing that we target zero of them happening. And that is something that I, f- I feel like I feel really proud when we go into an organization and uh, we can turn that culture around and it, it takes some work. But you move to a world where it is sort of no, it's, it, it's ridiculous to say that people would encourage incidents. Right. That's not the intention. No one is saying, like, do bad things and make things break. But if you are if your organization is having things that are you are having to react to with a sense of urgency, it is better to have those declared out in the open. And if everyone starts doing that and that becomes the norm, it becomes something that people don't feel afraid to do. And that then has the benefits that people report more things and reporting more things means you have, you know, certainly as like a senior leader in an organization, I want to see everything. I want to see all the infractions. If there's a team that is, you know, doesn't have any major incidents, but they are having like 10 incidents a week where they are having to spend two hours fixing a thing and that's all flying under the radar that's not helpful to me to help make investments in like how can i help this team be better um and so i think there's yeah there's so many like nice little like side side effects sort of 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 dealing with incidents nicely and that's that's just one of them yeah that was also getting me thinking about that other part of sre which is embracing risk and I think if you if you accept that, or one thing, if you accept that incidents are going to happen and just focus on the way that we respond to them, I think that's more something in our control. And it's it's nice, I think. It, then it's not so much about an incident's a bad thing because it's about how well can we respond to it. Uh, and the other thing is that if you accept a certain amount of risk and say incidents will occur, let's accept that, then you, there's kind of opportunity there with the sort of risk reward. Uh, you know, how much are we going to, if we're trying to invest a whole bunch of money and time into stopping all incidents from happening, it's probably not going to provide any value. It's not going to go anywhere. But if you say, you know, what is, I don't know, what is available enough for our particular context? And then that gives you, once you know what that is, you know how much effort you have, and then you free out the rest of the time to do other more valuable things, I guess. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. It's like, um, it's like inherently, if you ask someone, like, how available do you want to be? Someone will be like, 
I want to be a hundred percent or like you know a hundred nines of availability that makes sort of log logical sense and you're like at what cost like how how much do you want to put in there and like clearly like when when you dig into it no one is going to target that kind of level of availability but folks there are still folks that we talk to who are I want to target zero incidents and it's like do you really is that have you really thought through what that means and like the folks who do do that the interesting thing there is that often they they will achieve zero incidents but it doesn't mean they're not having incidents it just means they're they're not being reported or you know people are actively avoiding what they see as risky activities which means that like that big migration doesn't get done or the deployment of a thing doesn't happen and like you end up like with a stalled organization and I've been, I've been there and like it's it's not fun i think i would rather encourage you know a low level hum of small things going bad that gives folks lots of practice at what it means to respond to something that is that is incident like um and then those massive events that will again inevitably happen and you will have your service down or something terrible will happen like i would rather have an org that is well rehearsed well practiced on a bunch of small things tackle that than someone who's like oh my gosh i've never dealt with an incident now this like horrible thing is going on We've kind of touched on it already, but let's say you're an organization and you realize that your incident management isn't going very well and you want to you want to change your approach and the way that you do that. What kind of challenges do you see maybe from your own experiences or from your customers about changing the mindset or the way that incidents are handled? I think I think there's like there's so many different angles to this this answer. There is like it's like what where, where is it going wrong is like the, the question right so it's like there's some folks that we speak to who want to want us to help because they have this like terrible culture where like senior management are doing this zero incident culture and that's not helpful um, and then we have other other sort of places where we're like well for us risk and compliance team are the one who define the incident management process and like they are not incentivized to you know make the response really good they're incentivized to make sure all the right documents are filled out and the you know you have the postmortem if it's a critical thing and like those things might might be necessary like i've been in a bank and that is 100% the thing that we had to do for our regulators but but the incentives just weren't aligned and it's like you need to i think you just need to come come at these things afresh of like what is it you're trying to achieve and if you're trying to achieve a place where you know your organization embraces failure to a degree and says listen this is going to happen and we're going to get really good at being resilient to it like that is, in my mind, there is like no greater goal for an organization than to be resilient to things. And there is just, as I said, a number of different angles and it depends on like the organization as to where to start. But like fundamentally, like the advice that I would give pretty much any org universally that's trying to improve incidents is like make it acceptable to declare incidents, um, re reward folks who, who deal with those things transparently. Um, and like put the effort into making sure that you get the value from those incidents when they do happen. So it's not about like ticking the box of like how many things can we put on the scoreboard of the number of incidents that we've had. It's like, what are we getting back because of that? And it's like, is it insight into your organization? Is it insight into specific parts of like a technology stack where you've had a very big incident and you've done the effort to, you know, debrief on it thoroughly? Um, many angles, I think, but um, yeah, for what it's worth, we, we've sort of tried to distill our, our, our thoughts on best practice around incident management into um, this sort of incident management guide, we call it the Practical Incident Management Guide, um, on our website, like not behind paywalls or anything else like that, so like free to just go and browse. But um, yeah, there's a bunch of like practical tips in there around just like being pragmatic about how you approach these things as well. I think there's, there's a lot of people who just 
import co like the way incidents were done 10 20 years ago it's like itil must know how to do this i'm going to use that and it's like not really like just come at it with like the minimal viable version and iterate from there is usually good guidance i was thinking about tracking how well you're going with incident management what do you think what do you think about you know using quantifying how you're doing like, and doing things like tracking mean you know obviously numbers of incidents and types of incidents but you know people are obsessed with mean time to recovery or i've heard this new thing mean time to remediation is there value in tracking these things or, or are there pitfalls and things to be careful about uh yeah this is a subject man this is uh so i think <laughs> i think people i think there there are some interesting things you can learn by looking at some quantified metrics right um and using them as an input to some form of learning is is not necessarily a bad thing i think mean time to recovery is one that i'm i'm pretty bullish on not being useful at all um in so much as like if if you come at incidents from the starting point that they are things that are inherently a surprise that you've not seen before typically or there is an enormous amount of context even if even if it's the same Thing that's happened to a technical system it's not going to be the same thing that's happened to like the, the sort of human side of that so someone could be on call and their phone didn't go off or they could be in a supermarket so they've used all of the sort of like sla time they have to respond so it's taken longer and it, but that's totally fine because you've said that's okay as an org um and so like you look at that one and it just i don't i don't see the value in it i think it's one of those ones where i would prefer to look at individual incidents rather than some form of like line over time which in I, like i literally i've tracked this at many many companies for many many incidents and there has never been a trend is the honest answer um it is like it is it is noise and sort of spikes and in fact there was a paper that someone at, at google i think put together which was they did like this like fascinating like monte carlo simulation of like um, I, I can't remember the exact details, but it was like a, assuming a tool claimed to be able to reduce MTTR by like 10%, like what would that look like in these simulations with the thing? And it's like, there is so much noise as for you to literally not be able to derive anything from M MTTR here. So yeah, I don't think that's super useful. Um, there is there is lots of interesting things you can pull out of incidents though. And like looking at the data is one thing, but using it to inform how you how you sort of make decisions absent deeper context is bad a bad idea in my view it's like it's like yeah i think if you incidents to really learn you need to go deeper on things and understand like more context about the individual incidents and that's where the real value is um there's actually a fascinating or not fascinating a, a really good blog post by um john allspore i don't know if you've heard heard of him used to be cto at etsy um really really smart guy um, and it's called moving past shallow incident data, and it, it it positions this really well, right? Which is like there's a there's a there's a like a um, there's a picture of like a bunch of grapes on this blog post, and it's like all these facts about the grapes. Like the grapes are exactly this wide, and they this weigh this much, and da, 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 and the question underneath is like how do they taste? And it's like that. I think that's the interesting parallel that you see with incidents. Is like you know you can have all the data and it it can mean very little in the grand scheme of things. I was just going to say that this seems like a topic for an entire conference talk or a, a blog post or something around incident data and, and analyzing it and making sense of it or not. So, <laughs> yes. 
Yes, yeah, hundred percent. And there's, um, in fact, another another interesting. There was a talk um, I saw at SRECon in SF a few months ago um, by Courtney Nash, which was again sort of debunking the. So she she is a researcher who works for Verica, um, and they she uh, does all the publishing work on the Void, the Verica Open Incident Database, where they sort of collate all of the public postmortems from from companies' incidents, and um, yeah, doing a bunch of research there that sort of again debunks this like you know how long things last being a useful measure type of thing um so worth worth checking that out as well so we've talked we've touched on this already but in your opinion what does really bad incident management look like oh good question um i feel like this is like an area where i'll repeat myself um what does bad incident management look like i think people who are driven by metrics is is bad incident management i think that it's like you know not helpful doesn't you know it drives in like weird perverse incentives i think um incident management that is like has misaligned incentives again where you've got the people defining the process and not the people following the process um and that's something i've seen a fair few times which is like someone writes down a document which tells them accurately how they're going to respond to an incident you're like have you ever been in an incident and like well no but like here is the flow diagram you're like okay i guarantee you at 2 a.m I'm not opening your document and I'm not following your flow diagram. So let's figure something else out. Um, uh, what else is what else is bad? I think I think instant management that happens in private is also really bad. So we have we've we've seen this with customers where they're like, cool, everything's done in DMs and sort of behind closed doors because uh, we don't want to make a big deal about, about this thing. And it's like you literally are just like excluding a bunch of like firepower from your organization so like we encourage folks and obviously accepting things like vulnerabilities or sensitive incidents um but we encourage folks to like declare things publicly and it's like that's a that's a good way for people to self-select in and go oh i've seen you've declared this thing i just i just did deployment of this thing over here and i can contribute some useful like thoughts as to why you might be seeing this or i could roll my thing back and it's like if that happens behind closed doors that is you know not not good news basically um and i think like finally like bad incident management is like not not leveraging incidents to get the kinds of like value back from them like they are a sunk cost right they're a thing that's going to happen whether you whether you try to avoid them or not and so the best thing you can do is get maximal value back from them so they are like a spotlight into things that you probably have never looked at before they're like lifting up lifting up the rock that you get to look under and so using them you know if you don't get to use them as that learning opportunity that is just wasted effort and like it, at that point is just such a pertinent one in that i have learned i've learned more about kubernetes and more about cassandra from you know an incident where i've had to i've been forced to go super deep down an avenue i never thought i would need to know about um and i've learned more in that sort of compressed space of time and the sort of period that followed than you know watching eight hours worth of tutorial videos about how you know kubernetes clusters work and how masters talk to nodes and stuff it's like no 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 just literally throw yourself in and you will learn really really quickly so yeah heap of benefits there but people who don't do that i think that's that's bad incident management in my view yeah i really like your mindset when it comes to incidents uh, it's it's refreshing uh, yeah I, I kind of not knowing much about incident management or having not been on call like dealing with incidents myself pretty much ever <laughs> i have to say yeah i've been kind of scared of them i'm like oh this, this is a really scary incident to me is a scary word it's the, the bad thing mm. and then all the pressure and the people telling people off and but I, after talking to you so far i'm like okay this this is good i like this i like what this could be I think the thing that's interesting is a lot of folks, a lot of folks say that, right? Which is like, I've never been in an incident. And when you're like, 
I, I'm willing to bet something has gone wrong when you've been working in like normal, you know, normal operation. And you might not have called it an incident, but you probably had to think pretty quickly about how to deal with something, whether that's like I've shipped a thing that didn't work as expected. I need to roll it back or something happened that I wasn't quite sure what it was like. And I think that's that's an interesting thing, which is just like a lot of people have this vision that an incident is this terrible thing that happens once a quarter and it has to engage like you know 40 people to swarm on to try and get it fixed and it's terrifying and it's like no it's just it's just a time when you had to like deviate from something you were planning to do with a degree of urgency um and it's sort of like uh, i've got to go fix this and learn something and uh, you know respond quickly basically i have a few more questions about more about you as a person um some of them are a little bit silly so just you know prepare yourself for that uh, the first one was you're a chief product officer, so I was just curious because uh, uh, about what the, the, your day-to-day work looks like. Yes, uh, so we are a startup, so titles are entirely made up and, and typically inflated because it's useful for sort of like external signaling. So like early early days, it was pretty clear to us that like one of the co-founders was the one who wanted to do the fundraising and the sort of the high-level steer the ship for stuff. And so he became CEO and he's very good at that. Pete, one of the co-founders, is like, very technical has been an end manager before like just shoe in for cto and i was this sort of weird shaped person who did a bit of engineering stuff and was like very very passionate about our products like had built the open the, a tool at monzo that we then open sourced um and loved talking to customers so that that was really where like cpo came from and it was just like useful for signaling externally talking to people so to be very blunt um day to day now i I still spend a lot of time talking to customers, probably more than than Stephen or Pete at this stage, um, as your co-founders, that is. And um, that gives me, like, I think, unique insights into what what folks are seeing when they're dealing with incidents, what organizations are struggling with. Um, and then you combine that with the background in engineering and the sort of passion for this product. And that means that I can sort of feed things into the engineering team. And so I'm useful in that regard of helping steer things. So like, we're thinking of working on this bit next what are customers saying and that's that's like yeah i can talk for hours about the various different things and my own opinions there so that's broad, broadly like on on paper that's what i would say my role is obviously being like founder of a company there is like cool i am the one who registered the trademarks for our logos i'm the one who has been setting up an office in the us this week and you, you know you get the drift it's like a little bit of everything but um it's great it's a lot of fun it's um very challenging but yeah good this is a question i ask everyone who's come on the show so far is that sre you know site reliability engineering obviously was the thing started at google and then they wrote a book about it and people started doing it around the world it seems to me it's really going mainstream right now uh especially in recent years uh, certainly there are teams and practices with the title sre in them whether they're doing anything different i don't know so my, i'm curious what are your thoughts on how successful you think the wider industry has been at adopting adopting the, the principles behind sre not necessarily copying google which i don't think is a good thing when i look at sre like i there is like the very hardcore google sre thing and i've read the sre book and the sre workbook and like many other ones and there is the like we must do slos and we must do you know error budgets and we must do x y and z and i sort of okay then i go yeah sure at a certain scale they probably make sense um and then i think a lot of people what they've done is people who were platform or infrastructure people or devops type people have all just rebranded as to SRE because it's the new hotness. And, and honestly, like the salaries are good <laughs> if you're an SRE. Um, I think in my my view, I 
I've seen a few teams where I think SRE's the, the sort of spirit of SRE has been embedded, which is the let's stop doing things manually where like the effort that goes in is sort of directly returned effort that you get back. It's that one time sort of effort. So I do a manual thing and I'll have to do that manual thing every time this thing happens. Um, and like the good teams are the ones who take those problems and can sort of figure out which of those ones it makes sense to automate away or write some software to deal with. And so when you you put one, one X effort in, you get 10 X or 100 X or 1000 X return on that because you never have to think about it again. Um, and so like that, like that, that's my sort of like barometer for when I think an, a, a team is really doing SRE is that level of like, I think about things a little bit differently. Like I am a, I'm not afraid to write software and I know when it makes sense to apply the, I'm going to write software to manage this problem. Um, and I think Monzo, Monzo had this pretty good. We had some frankly, like incredible software engineers who also just had a, a, a good appreciation for infra and platforms and things like that and it worked really well and i think it's um yeah it's it's hard i think it's a very very tough profession and i think the the salaries are justified massively when you have people who do it well basically do you have a uh, favorite technology related book i i said it might be a little tenuous to call it a technology related book but it applies very very well to technology um so there is a book called the field guide to understanding human error um, by um, a guy called Sidney Decker. And he he is like a former airline pilot who turned to looking at like safety science. Um, and this book sort of informed a lot of the thinking I have around incidents, but then also broadened to a lot of the thinking that I have around like just general life. Um, and it sort of positions these like old school view and new school of approach to like how how you think about safety. And it's like, um, I mean, I'll do it a disservice to go into much like super deep details, but like it's basically a fascinating read that when you read it, I think you start looking at events and rather than assuming, you know, this this is like, you know, something bad's happened here and someone's done something wrong. It's like everyone's done something right. And this is like a happy, happy, you know, consequence of just life is just things go well, things don't go well, and like probably happens in equal measures in some regards. And, you know, we just happen to focus on a lot of the negative things. But um, yeah, great book. Really, really, really smart guy. Uh, love it a lot. Uh, if you had, you had the choice of having the superpower of being able to turn invisible, or whether you could jump as high as a tall building, which one would you choose and why? <laughs> I mean, the, the handy thing is I've like, I've probably spoken at length, so I have two kids, two boys, and like superpowers has come up a lot. Um, I I would want to be invisible and I'm sort of slightly reluctant because I think a lot, the second anyone says that, I think people have this like, oh right, what would you do with your invisibility power? And everyone's like, <laughs> like, it's not that. I think, I think it would be a fascinating power to be able to be fly on the wall in places and get access to things and you know see things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to see i think i think generally more useful than jumping as high as a building which i think would probably probably get quite quite tiring and i think potentially if you the thing about jumping as high as a building is people would see you and i think the moment you left the ground you'd be like some government agency would collect you and dissect you and kind <laughs> of figure out how you work <laughs> so whereas if you're invisible yeah, no one even knows you know Thank you, Chris, for that absolutely awesome interview. I learned a lot of things along the way. It was also just a really entertaining conversation to have. 
and I'm sure that everyone else will get just as much out of it as I did. That's all from another episode of Slight Reliability. I'll be back next week. I have more interviews in the pipeline and some solo content to come. Enjoy yourselves and I'll see you next time.